Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Hey, we're glad you're here. We are, as Bob said, starting our Battle of the Six uh, Sexes series. And today we're going to talk about the difference between boys to men. And we've entitled the message From Boys to Men. We're going to do a, we were going to do a From Boys to Men montage. The band couldn't cover most of those songs, so uh, keyed too high, they said. Anyways, but uh, Thursday night, I was coming down for the Thursday night service, same service. One of the guys that was uh, stuffing bulletins with the notes, he was looking over the notes, and he stopped me, and he said, man, you're going to be like the most hated guy in Murfreesboro after this night is over. I thought that's not exactly what I was shooting for, but uh, anyways... But I do want to say this, men, breathe. I know you have listened to messages on manhood and guys like me have just jumped up and just uh, beat the stew out of you for 40 minutes and just felt better about themselves and you left feeling a whole lot worse. It's easy to do that. You know, the enemy attacks men, but here's what we're going to do uh, today. Uh, my, my promise, if you're going to give us 30 minutes here, my promise to you is to give you a working definition of manhood. Uh, you may already have one. I, I would just tell you that, that for much of my life, I had great male influences. My father is still one of my best friends. I have a great dad, grandfather, just super close still to him. But I struggled to know how to define manhood. I don't know if anybody else had. Like, there was a time in my life I thought a man was somebody who could make the play and win the game. That was a man. I thought a man was a guy just tough enough if things got south, he could fight, you way out, fight, fight his way out of the situation and he could, you know, he could just be more physical than another man. I thought a man, there was a time in my life, I thought a man was a man if he was good with the ladies. That was a man. I thought a man was a, a man who if your transmission went out on your car, he could take uh, zip ties and some duct tape and you're up and running. <laughs> the problem was I was really none of those guys, so it was a little tough, so... But, but the truth of the matter is all those definitions of manhood fall short. I just knew in my heart there had to be more to manhood than that. And so that's what we're going to talk about for, for guys today. And ladies, I, I guess I'm wondering, you're, you're probably thinking, well, cool, we're here. What do you got for us? I would say this, and I have said this all weekend long, and, and several moms throughout the course of the weekend have, have told me this, and it's been super encouraging. I think this may be the most important message of the year for you to hear. I think it may be the most important message for ladies to hear uh, this year. Because, here, ladies, here's what I think you can do. I think you can encourage manhood, and you can expect it out of the men in your life, and that will make a major difference. You don't understand the power that you have that God has given you as you encourage manhood when you see it in the life of your husband, your boys, your grandson. When you see manhood, you get a chance to encourage it, and that makes a big difference. And I'll tell you something about boys. Boys live up to the bar that you've raised for them. And, and here's the thing. If we don't give young men a definition of manhood, they just don't really have a fighting chance. And so we're going to do that uh, today, okay? And and. Let's start this way because I want to just, and you may know this, but I just want to just say a few things before we get going. Uh, what it means to be male can simply be biological, but what it means to be man is something more. What it means to be male is, it can be explained away just, just biologically, but being a man is different. It's more. Let me say this. This is super, super important. 
We're just laying some ground rules. Male domination is a personal moral failure. It is not a teaching in the Bible. Can I say that to you again? Male domination, male superiority, is, that's just a personal moral failure. It's not what the Bible teaches. And we'll get to that more next week. But what the Bible teaches, and this is where we have a little bit of a, a difficult time. What the Bible teaches is that men and women are equal, of equal worth and of equal value. Do, do you hear that today? Can I, can I make sure that we hear that? If you need a reference uh, uh, for that, Galatians 3.28 would be a great place. Tons of places to start. We're going to get into that more next week on sameness. But that means it doesn't mean that we all have the same roles. We have different roles. And so the man is called to headship. That's a primary word that the Old Testament uses. It's the Hebrew word kephar. And you might say, well, I'm not interested in that. Well, I think you should be. Because if you don't know as a man who you're called to be, there's no way you can really begin to live that out. So kafar is, is a word that kind of speaks to the function of our brain. It doesn't mean that a man is smarter than a woman. It doesn't mean that at all. But here, here's what it means. It's a picture. Headship is a picture of this. Right now, think about this. Right now, your mind, your brain is receiving thousands of messages. And then it is sending thousands of messages out. It is assessing everything that is going on in your body, receiving messages and sending messages to keep your, keep your body functioning and not just going into chaos. And so in many ways, that's what headship is about, spiritual headship. It's about establishing order and, and understanding the climate of what's going on in and around you, the needs of those in and around your life, and really creating a climate where the gospel can take root. That's spiritual headship. Now, here's the problem. The first battle of the sexes, that's why I wanted to start this way. The first battle of the sexes is a battle with God over roles and responsibility, not between men and women. Does that make sense? Our first battle is not between men and women. We'll get to that, right? I mean, there's plenty of that. But it's really over what God says, who God says I am, and who God says you are. And so today, we're going to talk about who God says a man is. And so I'm going to make good on my promise right now from the jump. And I'm going to give you in one sentence, it's not perfect, but it's not bad. A definition of what I think a, a biblical manhood is. Because again, guys, if you don't know what it is, how can you live up to it? And ladies, if you don't know what it is, how can you encourage it when you see it and expect it in those guys around you? Because can I speak to women one more time before I give this definition? If you're single here today, single ladies... You don't want to marry a boy. If you marry a boy, he will make your life miserable. Now, someone who predominantly acts like a boy. I like, act like a boy in and out of my day, but hopefully there's some man stuff there too. And, and I, I, don't, I think if you're a mom, can moms and grandmoms look this way? Moms and grandmothers, you don't want to raise a boy. You want to raise a man. But you have to know what that looks like. All right? So here, here's a definition for, for starters. Manhood is this. It's one who courageously accepts responsibility. A man is one who courageously accepts responsibility. Now, there, there could be other definitions, but I want us to start with this. A man is one who courageously accepts what? Responsibility. 
But what are the core responsibilities of manhood? That's what we're going to talk about today. But the, the, Roy Smith said this. He said, the ability to accept responsibility is always a measure of man. In some part, your ability to accept responsibility is always the measure of man in, in, in some part. Now, here's how you'll know the difference. Because one of the things that I hope to deliver on today is to show you the difference between men and boys. Men accept responsibility. Boys lay blame. This is how you know the difference between man and boys. A man will accept responsibility, and it has really nothing to do with age, but a boy will always lay blame. That's why you, you, you've got a 10-year-old, you, you, and you've caught him dead to, dead to rights with something, and he always blames somebody else. Well, he's acting like a boy. But you know what? When, 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 when he does, as a 10-year-old, the next week take responsibility for something, that's a chance to call him up to manhood because that's how a man lives his life. Now, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the three core responsibilities of manhood. If the core of manhood is someone who courageously accepts responsibility, here's the next question. Responsibility for what? And we're going to look at three things today. And uh, I'm going to ask you these three, three things and have you repeat them back to me before we can go to lunch. Does that lock you in? <laughs> no, no, number one. Here's the first thing. Core responsibility of man is to understand that there is a will for me to obey. Part of what it means to be a man is I courageously accept responsibility. Responsibility for what? Number one, the will of God. There is a will that God has for you to obey. And let me say this to you. You cannot know the will of God apart from knowing the what? Word of God. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot know the will of God apart from knowing the Word of God. That's why this is so important. Now, if you have your Bibles, Bob encourages us to open to Genesis chapter 2. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 2 and see how this began. Starting in verse 15. It said, the Lord God took the man, the first man, and put him in the garden of Eden. Eden means pleasure, to work it and to keep it. So God gives, gives Adam a work to do in this beautiful place. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you shall surely eat of every tree in the garden. So God shows him all that he has. And then verse 17 is so crucial to what we're going to talk about today. God says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Many times people ask, like, what does that mean, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, it means, that when it says the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it means the tree of the knowledge of good and evil means that I will experience the consequence of sin. God says there's one rule. Here's what's happening in Genesis chapter 3, or excuse me, 2, verse 17. God is testing Adam and Eve. He gives them a will and, and, and asks them if they're going to obey or not. And if not, then they will know what God never intended for us to know is the consequences of sin, the knowledge of good and evil, what comes on the other side of rebellion against God. Haven't you experienced that sometime in your life, or if you're like me, many times when you rebelled against God, and then there you sit in your room, and it's 2 a.m., and you're thinking, why did I do that? Why did I do that? That is the knowledge of good and evil, okay? And so it's a test. Adam, will you obey? The first responsibility of a man is to obey the will of God, and we see it in the first man. Now, did Adam do that? Short answer, no. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 begins with Adam and Eve, and there they are. Instead of going and, and enjoying all that God had for them to do, they stayed around the one thing that God told them not to do. And when you stay close to what God tells you not to do, instead of moving far away from what God tells you not to do, pretty soon you won't be standing alone because the enemy will be standing right in the midst and lying and deceiving and questioning God. And that's what happens in Genesis chapter 3 when the enemy, Satan, the accuser, the liar shows up. And, and he lies and so and questions God. God didn't surely say that. You will not surely die. And so we, we see here, we see Eve taking the bait and, 
and, and eating the fruit. And now I grew up thinking Adam must have been out fishing somewhere and Eve was by herself. That was wrong. Adam's right there with her. That's why he's passive. He should have, the, his responsibility was to protect his wife. His, there was a will to obey, and he was passive in this defining moment to obey God's will. He does nothing. And, 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 and secondly, what we see, he uses Eve because in Adam's mind, here's what he's thinking. Well, if she takes this fruit and she eats it and she dies, that's on her. There's a man for you, right? Or if she takes it and she eats and we do become like God, like Satan said, winner then I win. Do you see what that is? Well, surely it happens. She sends, and the fall, uh, up to this point, the most significant event in the history of the world, the rebellion, when, when man sinned against God, willfully rebelled against God, we see the created order goes into chaos. Adam and Eve now realize that they are naked, they are insecure, they're hiding from God. God shows himself, reveals himself, calls out to Adam, asks Adam, where are you? And then Adam does this. Adam says that the woman you gave me, she made me eat. When God says, did you eat the fruit from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, what does Adam do? Adam blames who? Eve. But watch this. He also blames somebody else. Who else does he blame? He blames God. How's that for a resume builder? All right, so Adam is responding like a boy. Boys blame. Men take responsibility. Now look on down at Genesis 3.16. It's really where I want us to spend a little bit of time. Because if you... Uh, maybe like me, had the privilege of growing up in, in church, you, you know this story, right? But in, in verse 16, this is a very significant passage. In Genesis 3, 16, God is now going to talk about the consequences of this sin. What mankind is going to experience is a part of this willful rebellion. God says the woman, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth your children. Uh, your desire, look at this, this is huge. Your desire shall be contrary. If you have your Bible open, would you underline that word contrary? Your desire will be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Meaning there will be a tug of war, war, tug of war going on between a man and a woman. They, their desires will not match up. Many people under, are, are trying to figure out what is wrong. Why are we having such a difficult time in this relationship? Why is there such a battle between the sexes? Well, here is part of the answer. This willful rebellion that Adam was involved in brought the fall which brought separate desires between men and women and the gospel is the only hope for changing these desires I'm going to risk saying this in hopes that it will help someone else it is not easy for me to say what I'm about to say okay but this has been the story of my marriage for so many years like my desires and my wife's desires many times have not matched up and it's been so frustrating. Uh, very early in our marriage, I was so much about my name, my profession, my occupation, accomplishing something professionally and her desire was for the marriage and for our children and they didn't match up and it took me a while before I got there. There have been times where I have pursued my hobbies. It is hard for me to talk about over the, uh, other than pursuing my wife. And, and, and our desires have not matched up. And then when I kind of get there, Amy's like, where have you been? I was there 15 years ago. In marriage counseling for 20 years, I hear that over and over again. Just different desire. And finally, when a guy gets there and the wife is like, I was there 20 years ago. But this is the fallout 
from this willful rebellion. And this is what creates the battle of the sexes. Let, let, let's look just a little bit, a little bit deeper as, as we think about this will for us to obey and, and the ramifications of that. It creates tug of war. Why did Adam do that? Because Adam thought he, know, he knew best. Has that ever been your life? Can I ask you? You know what God says to do in your life as part of obeying his will, but you thought you knew better than God or you thought that didn't relate to you? Anybody like me ever been there? That's what Adam does. And so Adam forsakes the will of God in search of his own. And it brings damage between he and his wife. Now, here's what we're going to see in Scripture. There are two men that are, are really at the cornerstone of Scripture, Adam and the new Adam, Jesus Christ, the second Adam. Look at Luke chapter 22. We'll put it up on the screen. I want to show you this. This is very important. In Luke chapter 22, you may know the context of this story. Jesus is about to go to the cross. This is the night of his arrest. He is in what's known as the Garden of Gethsemane. It's one of my favorite places on planet Earth. It, it, the, it's an olive garden just outside of Jerusalem. I've been there multiple times. You can lean up and pray against one of these trees, and, and some say some of these trees could have been there when Jesus was around. It's unbelievable. It says, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed. He's doing this in a garden where Adam rebelled against God's will was in a garden. That's interesting. Verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What did he say? God, if there's any way, any other way, what's about to happen, uh, this rejection, this crucifixion, when Jesus says, take, take this cup from me, he's talking about the cup of God's wrath. For the first time in his life, God's going to have to turn his back on the son because my sin and your sin are going to be present. So he's going to have to be separated from the father. He's never experienced that in eternity past. And he says, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me and then get ready for some man talk. What does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. The first responsibility of a man is very simply this, to obey God's will over his own desires. Now, I am personally just going through Ephesians again. I love Ephesians. I love Galatians and Ephesians. And a lot of times in my quiet time when I'm sort of in a rut, I'll just go back there and just reread them. And right now, not only am I reading Ephesians, but I'll listen to Ephesians when I'm working out. If I'm on the exercise bike, I'll just listen to Ephesians and it kind of helps me. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you I do that and it helps me some. And I'm not about to make, I'm not about to talk about some specifics or what are in these passages. I'm just telling you, here's the rhythm of how we are called to live this out. So I'm on the exercise bike this week. It's Ephesians chapter five. The guy's reading it and I'm listening to it and he says but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity of greed because these are improper for God's only people for for God's holy people so that's God's will I have to surrender to God's will nor should there be this is what just made me stop my exercise bike stopped nor should there be obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving and God just it is really easy for me to load up on somebody else on something that I'm not dealing with I'm great at that but then when God reveals something to me it's like ooh like I grew up in I grew up mostly in locker rooms sometimes you need to you need to clorox your ears when you leave you ever ever been that way I'm talking about me I, mean, I can stand up here and preach for 35 minutes talk nonstop I can go back here to the, come on to the Explorer. I'll talk for another 15 minutes. You want to hear more? I'm, I can, I'm a talker. It's what I do. But I can also get with some other dudes in my truck. Guys start sniping. I can rip you apart in the name of fun. I'm good at it. Pretty good at that. And God just revealed to me that's a boy. Men surrender their words to the Father. You see? 
And so it hit, I, I'm, this is not a message about our talk. This is a message about knowing the will of God from the word of God and being a man who courageously takes responsibility and says, God, I will surrender to your will for my life. I'm just listening on down. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. I'm listening. I'm backpedaling again. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That, that, that's immorality. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart. And I'm like, you know what? There, there's just in our culture today, and just a lot of people just load up on, on, on Baptists, want to, want to just go nuts here as it relates to alcohol. Listen, here's what we believe here. We don't believe that one drink is a sin. We don't believe that drinking is a sin. We do believe that drunkenness is a sin. Why? Because the Bible says so. See that? The Bible's clear about that. And so when I am given to that, then I'm stepping outside of God's will, and chaos begins to reign. Jesus said this, John chapter 4, verse 34. He says, my food, says Jesus, is to do the will of who sent me. But Jesus says he was here. He says, what sustains me is doing the will of God. So men, here we go. Men stand in the shadow of Christ. Boys stand in the shadow of Adam. What's the difference? A man understands the will of God and surrenders to the will of God. A boy will make their decisions based on what they want to do in that moment. That's the difference. Now, here's the second core responsibility. If the first core responsibility of a man is understanding there's a will to obey, here's the second one. There's a work to do. Say that with me. There's a work to do. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, this can be a little more complex. First of all, the first work of a man, and this is for a woman too, but for a man being this spiritual headship, you need to understand what God's called you to do. The first work of a man is that of image bearing. Now, what does that mean? Galatians chapter 1, verse 26. If you don't know your responsibility, you can't live it out. Galatians 1, 26 and 27 said, then God said, let us make man in our own image. People uh, took me to death and they say, you know what? Man, I don't see the Trinity in the Bible. I do on the first page, right? Who's God talking to here? Then let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let, us, let them have dominion, dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the created uh, thing, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created them. Here we go, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. I have a dog. His name is Drake. He weighs about 95 pounds. He's a big dude. We have a lot in common. He likes to eat. I like to eat. He's real particular about where he sleeps. Like he'll walk into our bedroom. If we don't have a good place for him to lay down with like a blanket and something soft, he'll just stand there and look at you like, seriously? He, he wants a comfortable, he's, he's peculiar about where he sleeps. I, I, I am too. But he's different from me. He didn't go to bed last night thinking about different responsibilities inside the family, thinking about the family, family finances, thinking about how he's doing spiritually, was he honoring God? He just went to sleep. He snores, I snore. We got some things in common. We got a lot of things different. Why? Because we've been created in the image of God. And part of what that means is we are now image bearers. Here's the point. The first work of every man is to understand his primary responsibility is to be an image bearer, meaning the way you live your life on a daily basis is giving people a picture of who God is or who God isn't. So the primary work of a man is that of an image bearer. Now, here's how you'll know the difference between men and boys. Men are image bearers and boys are glory thieves. That's one of the ways you can know the difference. A boy will be about himself. He wants himself to look good in every situation and circumstance. When a praise comes his way, he takes it. When praise comes a man's way, he gives it to God. You understand the difference there? Now, here's the second thing about a work to do. A man must find his role in kingdom advancement, right? I, I have two boys, and, and I'm not talking about my boys. I'm talking about your boys. 
But a lot of times you'll talk to, to, talk to a young boy and say, hey, man, what, what's up? What are you doing? Man, just hanging out. Just hanging out. I want to be honest. I'm done with that phrase. It's time to quit hanging out. It's time to go to work. You know, I, I, I meet with couples. I, I met with a couple not too long ago. They're, they're newly married. He's up till 3 in the morning playing video games. I'm not anti-video games. 3 in the morning, it's time to go to work. <laughs> Right? It's time to be involved in something that matters because there's a work for you to do as a man. Do you understand that? That's what God's called you to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. I can tell now why the guy said you're going to be the most hated man in Murfreesboro. <laughs> Here's what Paul said. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the what? Fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. See, this is one of the things that's different between a man and a boy. A man is investing his time and a boy is spending his time. When you're involved in kingdom work and you're, do, you're doing something for the king that is declaring the gospel, that is discipling other people, that is growing the rule and reign of God on, on planet earth in some way, then you're investing your time in something that will outlive you. You see that? It has eternal value. So there's a different men invest, boys spend. John 17, 4, listen to what Jesus said. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now let's talk about in the, in the arena of a man's professional life. Here's where we've been. Watch this. We've said this primary definition of manhood is a, is a man is someone who courageously accepts responsibility. Well, responsibility for what is the next question we ask. Three areas. Number one, there's a will for you to obey. Number two, there's a work for me to do. And a part of that work is I'm an image bearer. I'm going to be involved in something that advances the kingdom. And then my professional life. That's a part of that, right, as a man. And here's what I'd say about your professional life. A man exceeds expectations in his professional life. A man exceeds expectations in his professional life. Why? Because he knows the secret. He's not working for the man. He's working for the man. And you're like... That's the most confusing thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, here's what the Bible says. Whatever you do, Colossians 3.23, this is a great verse, man. This is a great verse. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for human masters. So you don't, listen, boys work when somebody's eyes on them, but when the, when the boss man or woman turns their back, boys will stand in a corner and hang out. A man works all the time. Why? Because He's working for the Lord. You understand the difference? Exceeding expectations in the workplace. That's a part of being a man. We love to say this about our God. We love to say our God is always at, he's always at work. People say amen to that. But as an image bearer, what about me? It's not that we have to work all the time, but listen, when we're there, when we're working, are we working as unto the Lord? Do you understand that laziness is a poor testimony? You understand? It's a poor testimony. It's a lousy testimony. Hey, if you're not yet in the, in, in the, in the workforce, in, in school, what, whatever it is that you're doing, man, go after it. That's what a man does. That's what God's called us to do. Whatever you do. Why? Because we're working for the Lord. It's a great example. Charles Spurgeon, great pastor of old, said this. He said, some occupation is necessary to happiness. He said, it's really part of the life. You understand that God gave Adam a work to do before sin entered. People say, well, sin's a result of the fall. No, it's not. Work, or, that was bad. Work is a result of the fall. This is my fourth time to preach this message. Work, people say work is a result of the fall. God, God gave us work to do as a curse because of the fall. No, God gave us work to do before the fall. You see that? So we're honoring God as we work. Spurgeon said, some occupation, professional life, is necessary to happiness. Lazy people would not enjoy even Eden. You see that? A perfect man is a working man. 
So here, how do you how do you tell the difference between men and boys? Men will go to work. Boys lazy. That's a difference. Now here's the third. No amens there. I wasn't expecting any. I have I have been a boy in my life. I have been a boy in my life in that area. But I want to work as unto the Lord uh, for the rest of my days. Now let's look at the third thing. Here we go. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Three core responsibility of, of manhood. Because why are we talking about this? Because an authentic man, he is courageous and he accepts responsibility in his life. There's a will to obey. There's a work to do. And number three, there's a woman to love and care for. There's a woman to love and care for. This is a core responsibility of, of manhood. Um, now, Dr. Randy Stinson is a professor at Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary. He tells a story of standing, uh, being in his office one day at his home and looking out. His house sits on a hill, and he looked out, and he saw his four-year-old little boy in a red wagon, and he's just barreling down that hill beside their house. And he knows he, just, he knows he can't stop him. He can't get to him. He's just watching to see where the crash happens so he can quickly get to him and, and care for him. Out of the corner of his eye, he sees the neighborhood little girl who's a three-year-old girl who lives next door. She's on her tricycle. She's coming across, and they're going to intersect, and it's not going to be good. And he sees it about to happen, and then he saw something. He said his four-year-old boy, he sees her. He takes the handle of that wagon, and he just rips it as hard as he can to the left, and he flips the wagon over, and he goes just flipping down his driveway out into the yard. He just, he's laying there in a heap. And Randy said when he got to him, he didn't know if he was alive or dead. He didn't know if he had broken bones or what. And he starts wiping some of the dirt and mud and blood off his face. And his four-year-old son, you know what he said? He said, Dad, boy goes down, the girl goes free. Is that good? Dad, a four-year-old knows what it means to be a man. Dad, a boy goes down, and the girl goes free. That's what it means to be a man, to protect the woman that God has given you. You know, in, in January of 2012, off the coast of Greece, there was a luxury cruise liner that ran ashore, hit some rocks, rips the bottom of the, this massive ship. Water begins to come. The ship begins to flip over. And 32 people drowned as a result of that ship sinking, not far off the coast. Reports began to surface about the people on that ship. They said it was chaos. They said they were grown males. I'm using that term, males, grown males that were pushing women and children out of the way to get on life rafts because they didn't know. They didn't know who a man was and what a man was supposed to do. That same year, six months later, in a theater in Colorado, three buddies, mid-20s, Went on a date, three other ladies, in the movie theater, crazed gunman comes in, bullet fire going everywhere. Those guys immediately went to the ground, laid on top of their dates that night. Their bodies filled with bullet holes. Those three guys died. Those three women walked out of that theater. Why? Because a man goes down and a girl goes free. It's part of what it means to be an authentic man is you've got a woman to love and care for. And when you see that, we celebrate that. That's part of this core responsibility that we have. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. I'm almost done. Ephesians chapter 5. 
This is part of your core responsibility. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ give himself up for the church? He died so that we could go free. A lot of times young guys will come and, and, and they, want, they want to say, hey, we, we, I'm, I'm ready to get married. And I said, how do you know you get married? Because we're in love. And I said, well, how do you know you're in love? And he said, well, how, how, when would you know you're ready to be married? Here's what I say. That's why they don't come as much as they used to. <laughs> I said, dude, you know you're ready to get married when you're ready to die. It's a real awkward silence after that. <laughs> Usually followed by, huh. No, seriously. I'm serious. You're ready to die to your desires? You're ready to desire to your, die to your needs and, and put her first. It's part of what it means to be a man is you've got a woman to love and, and protect. And, 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 and sometimes guys will say, well, I'm trying to do that. But listen, she says she don't want anybody protecting her. And I get it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, contrary desires, tug of war, that'll be there. But it doesn't change your responsibility that God's given you. Do you understand that? Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So this is not, watch this, I'm almost done. This is not just physical protection because a lot of dudes in this room will go, yeah, I'll take a bullet for my girl. It's more than that. It's more than that. It's more than physical protection. It is also spiritual protection. And like dudes are passive about that. That's where Adam was. Do you see what Paul's saying? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. It's hard for me to even read this. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Meaning that's what Christ is trying to do for the church today, to cleanse us in sanctification. But it's also a picture of what we do for the woman that God's given us to love. To be that protective shield over her spiritually and physically. My sweet wife is here. I can't even look at her right now. I hope that I get to go first. But if it was in reverse, I hope that the time that she got to spend with me and I got to spend with her, so much of it I have wasted acting like a boy that I could be a man for the rest of that time. And that I could be that spiritual protector for her to avoid that stain and that wrinkle on her. Her time with me would better position her as she stands in the presence of Jesus, that she would leave me and go to him more in love with him because of her time with me and vice versa. I want that more than anything. Men, men serve and sacrifice and protect the women in their lives. And you can start teaching that early. Like, watch this. Here, here's just an extra teaching moment. We have, a, we have a grandson. He's not quite two, but he, he wants to hit. You remember that? And there's part of you as a dude are like, yeah. Right? I like it. But he'll hit everybody. And he took a swat at Nanny. Like, hey, hey, hey. Don't hit Nanny. And you can tell in his face, like, I can hit clay. You thought that was funny. But I, I want to teach him. I want to teach him that a boy goes down. 
and a girl goes free. I want to teach him to stand up for the three-year-old girls in his class, for the eight-year-old girls in his class, for the 15-year-old girls in his class. I want him to be that guy that grows up as a protector and a defender of the women around him because that's what a man does. You see, a man will serve and sacrifice and protect the women in their lives, but here's what a boy will do. A boy will use women for their own pleasure and comfort. You want to know the difference between a man and a boy? A man's a protector and a boy's a user. Hey, men, here's the invitation. We accept your responsibility. It really wasn't rhetorical. Will you accept your responsibility? Will you courageously, courageously accept the responsibility that is before you? There is a will to obey. It's over yours. It's God's will for your life. There is a work for you to do. And there is a woman for you to love. Will you step into manhood? Ladies, will you encourage manhood when you see it? There was a single lady, she's a widow in the first service, and she's like, my husband's gone, I don't have any grandkids, I don't have any, how would I encourage manhood? I said, where, where are you going to lunch today? Well, Chop House. I said, can I go with you first of all? <laughs> with the wife. I said, you go to Chop House, and there's going to be a 24-year-old, I bet, and he'll peel off and he'll open the door for you, and you encourage manhood when you see it. Encourage manhood when you see it. You know what? belittling, berating, beating men down. Every sitcom on TV does that. It's not working. Celebrate glimpses of manhood in your husband's life, in your boy's life, in your grandson's life. And men will live up to that. They crave it. They crave it. Celebrate it. Encourage them and expect it out of them. Don't lower the bar. Keep it high. And men will live up to that. Like there's teenage boys in this room. Hey, dads, show them the bar. Show them that a man is more than somebody who can win a fight and win the girl. He's courageous. He accepts responsibility, God's will, a work to do, and a woman to love. Don't lower the bar. But watch this. Some of you are like, man, I've, I've been a boy this morning. I love this verse. Proverbs 24, 16. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. You know another difference between a boy and a man? A boy will quit. A man will fight. A man will get up off the mat and fight. And some of you, are, it's just self-loathing. You know what? I've made so many mistakes. I've used women. I've done this. I've been a boy, boy, boy. Well, let me tell you something. It's time to be a man. Stand up and fight for the man that God's called you to be, for the kingdom that God's called you to work in, and for the woman that God's given you to love. Yeah. You're going to leave here in one of two shadows. You're going to leave here in Adam's shadow. You're going to leave here in Jesus' shadow. Adam said, I'll do it my way. I know what's best. Jesus says, I'm doing the Father's will. Adam says, I'll take the easy road. And Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus gave his life for his bride. That's the church. Adam wouldn't even step in and tell the enemy to shut up. Which shadow are you going to leave in? The truth about living in, leaving in the shadow of Christ means more than just being an authentic man. It is being a fully forgiven human being. Isn't that awesome? For our sake, 2 Corinthians 5.21, last verse, we'll let you go. I'm going to keep my word this time. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus, the one who didn't deserve it, became sin. Why? So that in him, in his shadow, we might become the righteousness of God. I love this. It wasn't his fault, the sin of the world. It wasn't Jesus' fault. But you know what he did? He made it his responsibility. That's what a man does. Oh, that's good, isn't it? How could you not surrender to a Jesus like this? It's what you've been looking for. Father, thank you for this moment in time, Lord. Thank you that your word teaches us that in repentance and rest we find our salvation. I would pray for some folks today that they might just trust you. Lord, I pray today for men in this room that we might courageously accept the responsibility you've given us. Lord, that there is a will to obey and we'd repent of areas where we've been like a boy this week. There's a work to do. We have just been hanging out, wasting time. And there is a woman to love. And Father, we might get up off the mat today and leave in the shadow of Christ for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.